Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. We've had 35 resurrections of the dead. The closer they are to freshly dead, the easier they are to resurrect. So I see this giant angel and I asked him his name. It's a financial company and I realized this angel is here for our finances. And that's a true literal story, by the way. These people are charlatans and it's about time we draw a line in the sand and stop fraternizing with the wolves. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. We're number one. Hey, we're number one. This is Wretched Radio. America is back, baby, because we are number one when it comes to pushing extreme gender ideology, sex change surgeries, and prescribing sex hormones to children. (laughs) We're we're back on top. What makes a nation great? Is it our military might? Is it our financial purchasing power, the ability to affect markets around the globe? Is it our athletic teams, the Ryder Cup? Or are there a different set of mm, ideals or accomplishments that should lead us to determine how we doing as a nation? I would suggest to you all of the aforementioned criteria They aren't that big of a deal compared to morality, values, and religion. How a people behave. What we do as a society. How we treat women and children. That's right. I said how we treat women and children. Because if you put three groups of people into a room, men, women, and children, it's probably not going to be the men that are taken advantage of, that are abused, that are put to the back of the bus. Oh, no, sir, Bob. It's women and children. What makes a nation great? Romans 1 informs us that the depravity of man is the indicator how far down the tunnel maybe funnel would be better. We are swirling, and this article tells me we ain't doing so good. Even European nations have implemented more strenuous barriers for youth seeking to obtain drugs and body-mutilating surgeries. When you've got nations that are even more godless than we are doing better in treating children who are confused about their gender identity... Hoofda. That's right. I said Hoofda. We're in trouble. This, by the way, comes to us from the Christian Post. Ay, ay, ay. In America, double mastectomies have been performed on girls as young as 12. When you have the President of the United States saying on national TV in a Q&A session, he, he was, by the way, at this point, he was just vying for the office, he affirmed an eight-year-old's gender confusion. Yeah, that's amazing. You you go, boy, girl, boy, boy girl, boy, 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 boy. By the way, received an interesting question from somebody about, about genders. It has nothing to do with biology. It had everything to do with language. Why are there different genders in languages, mostly European languages? I can't speak for Eastern languages, but I know European languages. There are nouns that have genders. Do you know why? No, you don't, because nobody does. They just do. (laughs) Makes things an utter mess when it comes to memorizing and figuring out foreign languages. 
because in America, in English, we don't have gender. Like uh, this TV monitor, it isn't masculine, it isn't feminine, it isn't neuter. Those are our three categories. Some cultures, historically, they've had animate, inanimate. The ways to identify which nouns are what class or category. We don't do that in English. But we do that in Latin. We do that in German. And that means your definite article needs to match your noun gender, which needs to match all of your adjective qualifiers in gender, which means you got a lot of declensions to memorize. And speaking of foreign languages, der Mann, der alles veränderte. That's right. You heard me. Der Mann, der alles veränderte. That's the man who split time. Literally, in German, <laughs> the people at Sola Grazia changed the title of a booklet Phil Johnson and I wrote. The man who split time is now the man who everything changed. Well, we would say who changed everything, but in German, they put those pesky verbs at the end of most sentences. The man who changed everything. Well done to the folks at Sola Grazia. Received an email a long time ago, well, it wasn't that long ago, from Vince saying, could we translate the man who split time into German? And we said, yes. Here it is. Well, I guess you can't really hear that. There. There it is. Sound effect, please. They sent the booklet. It's beautiful. It's well done. And they are distributing 22 proofs that Jesus is God in Deutschland. And let me tell you, Deutschland can use it. And as long as I'm totally off the subject right now, let's just keep going further into the weeds, shall we? Received an email from Jim. This should be an encouragement for you and for me to pass out gospel literature. I was waiting for an order at McDonald's. Okay, Jim, we need to talk, brother. If you're going to grow in your sanctification, you've got to mortify McDonald's. And you've got to increasingly go to Zaxby's. You're welcome. I was waiting for an order at McDonald's. And I suspect you're having to wait longer these days. <laughs> like we are every place. We're becoming more like Europe every day. I sat at a table. I saw a newspaper. So I put, don't stub your toe. It's one of our evangelistic booklets. In the newspaper, just for fun, a guy came and grabbed it and took it to the trash bin. But don't stub your toe. Fell out of the newspaper. So he picked it up and started reading it. I left 10 minutes later with my order. He was still reading it. The moral, don't take any opportunity, no matter how trivial, for granted. With the exception of your eating habits, Jim, well done. And well done to Sola Grazia for der Mann der alles verenderter. And if you, by the way, have figured out what no other linguist has, why we have genders in foreign languages, you let me know because it was the bane of my existence for years. <laughs> Back to America being number one. More than half of the European countries examined in the research have set the minimum age for sex change surgeries at 18. That would be Belgium, Denmark, Finland, Luxembourg, Sweden, and the UK. Iceland and Ireland, 16 years old for sex change surgeries. Norway and the Netherlands permit trans-identified girls to have double mastectomies at 16. America, 12, baby! When we do things... We put the pedal to the metal and we do it full tilt like a nobody's business. The U.S. 
also has a much looser age restriction for prescribing cross-sex hormones than European countries. The United States, well, no, I'll leave this for the end. Jimmy, I'm going to set you up with some information, and then you're going to make a guess. Okay. There will be no gambling on this exchange. All right. Sweden, we'll talk about that later. Sweden has four hospitals that provide assessment and treatment for trans-identified youth. Denmark has three locations, Belgium and Finland, two each. Iceland, Ireland, and Netherlands and Norway each have one hospital. How many does America have, Jimmy? 350. Okie dokie, you just blew it. Why? It's 60. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was no one's like, oh, it's only 60 okay. because you just shot the moon and went <laughs> way over the top with your guesstimate. Well, we're number 60. one. 60. <laughs> well, we're number one as long as we're talking about medicine. The Lancet, if you're not familiar with this UK medical journal, it was once, well, quite esteemed. Now, they're saying that humans are no more valuable than animals. And we need to move away from human-centered health care. Oh, cool. You don't think worldviews have any sort of implications? We know at creation, which happened in six 24-hour days, we are the cream of the creative crop. We are image bearers. We are the ones who live if an animal must die. The Lancet published a journal encouraging ecological equity. So that's just wokeism. Meaning all life has equal value. No, it doesn't. In fact, I'd even go further down the chain. A dog, a house pet, any, any frankly, any animal probably has more value than a worm or a bug. I think we intuitively get that. Not according to the Lancet. We're all the same. So they're advocating shifting the human being from being the center of medical health to one where humans are interdependent with animals, plants, and the wider environment. Proposing, therefore, we should all go on a vegan diet. <laughs> Good luck with that. I, Jimmy, I don't know if I ever told you this. I, uh, one morning, I don't know what got into me. I decided, I think it must have been in college. I, I'm, I'm going to be a vegetarian. Oh, how long did it last? Till lunchtime. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Romans 1, anybody? The traditional approach to healthcare takes a purely anthropocentric view. Yeah. That's why we've got veterinary medicine. And we spend more on human medicine because humans are more valuable. One Health, this is from The Lancet, places us in an interconnected and inter interdependent relationship with non-human animals. <laughs> Sorry. You're either human or you're an animal, but you're not both and we're not the same. And worldviews, <laughs> they have implications. This is Wretched Radio. Here are a few words that you've never heard together. Health insurance 
good deal and high customer satisfaction rates. Would you please consider checking out MediShare? Not only are the rates amazing, but the customer satisfaction rate is supremely higher than traditional health insurance. MediShare, it is affordable, biblical, health sharing. The average family saves $500 a month, but hold on, here comes the even better part of the good deal. For the year 2023, you'll save 10%. Not kidding. Even more. Furthermore, they will waive the initiation fee. It will take you two minutes on the telly to determine if MediShare is right for you and your family. Please call 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, or visit MediShare.com slash wretched now. Transformed, the podcast with Dr. Greg Gifford is already a hit with literally thousands of listeners and subscribers in the first two weeks of its existence. If you haven't heard the Transform podcast just yet, here is what you've been missing. How do we change? Our focus has to stay on Christ and not the sin that so easily entangles us. New episodes drop every Saturday morning with Dr. Gifford tackling issues we all encounter, but he uses only the Bible as the sap. Transformed in all of our resources are only possible because of the generosity of our gospel partners. If you're not already a gospel partner, I would encourage you head over to wretched.org slash donate right now and get the answers that you're likely looking for on what it means to be a Wretched Gospel Partner. That's wretched.org slash donate. And check out the Transformed Podcast, transformed.org slash podcast, or anywhere podcasts are heard. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Masters Academy International, training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries, to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines. Not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles. Two believers in TMAI-trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send, how many seminaries you might support overseas. To learn more, visit wretched.org slash pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org slash Bible. Important dates in Christian history. 590 AD. Gregory becomes Pope Gregory I, known as the Great. He made treaties with Germanic tribes, independent of the emperor, and declared the Bishop of Rome's primacy over the whole church, increasing the political and spiritual power of the papacy significantly. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. America might be number one, but we're not. This is Wretched Radio. We're slipping in the ratings. Hold on. We're going to boost them back up. (laughs) That's what breaking news does, doesn't it? Let's talk politics. Freel, must we? Well, only because I think there are some implications for us Christians. Politics is a realm that we get to be involved in. 
Not everybody used to. We get to. And so as evangelicals who desire the most good to be done for the most people. And incidentally, you'll notice I didn't say human flourishing. Why? Somebody sent me a really nice letter saying, um, every time you say human flourishing, I cringe because that's the word that liberals use. You're right, it is. And I'm actually mindful of that when I use the term, but it, it's not a bad term. But in this instance, once again, it's been hijacked. So it's probably not the best term to use. So we'll just stick with something really long, unmemorable, and complicated, like we want to do the most good for the most people. We want to love our neighbors as many as we can. That is a Christian ideal, not a liberal, woke ideal. Let us talk about politics in as much as, well, it affects us. Evangelical leaders, this is from CBS News, evangelical leaders, why are they why are they reporting this? <laughs> I'm sorry. I guess I'm getting a little jaded, but anytime I see mainstream media reporting something about us, oh, you got an agenda. Here's one that shocked me. Speaking of like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Get your black helicopter out. The New York Times is actually talking about the Biden documents <laughs> that apparently he squirreled out of the White House and they're finding. Why is the New York Times reporting on them? Jimmy, if you've got Alex Jones' number, send him a text. we got to figure this one out. Evangelical leaders who supported Trump's presidency are waiting for other candidates in 2024, which doesn't make the former president all that happy. Nevertheless, it does remind us that as evangelicals, we do have a process that maybe would allow us to want one thing, and if we don't get it, we deal with the next thing. Meaning, in the primaries, shouldn't we vote for the person who checks the most evangelical boxes? Not going to apologize for that, by the way. We do have litmus test issues. Everybody does. These just happen to be ours. Is the person fully full life? Not kind of. Not with exceptions, even of, as horrible as it is, rape and incest. No, who's the, who's, the most, who's the one who's really upholding marriage? Who is the one, incidentally, this is, this is a box we got to be careful with because the office of politician, whatever that office is, is not the office of pastor. And yet I do believe we can use the qualification of an elder to say that would probably be best. So if we can find that guy or guyette who checks all of the first Timothy two and three boxes, well, that would be a that would be good. And you have that option in the primary, which means you don't need to be locked in. It's my opinion that evangelicals in the primaries, we don't need to really have loyalty to anyone yet. Yet. At some point, there will be two people, and you can vote for the least bad person that there is, which is basically what we're being confronted with more and more these days. But if you're involved in voting in the primaries, let's let's be really rigid as to our desires, not doing the least amount of compromising or, dare I say, holding our noses or our collective nose as, as we can. And that's exactly what the people in this particular article said. I'm, I'm just, 
I might support the guy. I might not. I'm just waiting through the primaries. And I think that that is good advice for all of us. As long as we're talking about the former president, he was talking about us citing the disloyalty of evangelical leaders who haven't endorsed him yet. He was on Real America's voice program called The Water Cooler with David Brody. The host asked, when you announced your candidacy, at least as it stands now, some of these prominent evangelical leaders who backed you last time, they're not yet willing to, to commit, like Robert Jeffress is not, Franklin Graham is not, and some others. It looks like many of them are waiting to see how the field shapes up before backing anyone. And I think that's entirely fair and actually wise, isn't it? Donald Trump responded, I don't really care. This is my Donald Trump impression. Hey, it's really as good as everybody else's. Actually, there is one guy who does. <laughs> he just nails it. I don't really care. That's a sign of disloyalty. Nobody's ever done more for right to life than Donald Trump. Hey, Jimmy. Yes. Todd Friel is talking to you. Okay. Todd Friel would like you to do a little research on oh. this when we're done. Yes, sir. Get back to Todd Friel when you can. <laughs> Quote, nobody's done more for pro-life than Donald Trump. I put three Supreme Court justices who all voted and they got something that they've been fighting for many, many years. I agree. <laughs> that was that was long in coming, but we're grateful for that, aren't we? Yes. Yes, we are. Because when righteous people, at least some clear-thinking people, are ruling, that's a blessing. Quote, I'm a little disappointed because I thought they could have fought much harder during the election, during the 22 election, because they won and a lot of them didn't fight or weren't really around to fight. Well, his dissatisfaction aside, let's make our way through the primaries. Take a look at everybody. Who is pro-life? Who is pro-marriage? Who does have character that will just use it, not as a perfect guideline because they're different offices, different expectations, but who has the most of the attributes that we would expect in a pastor? Nancy Pelosi made it in the news. If this story is true, and I don't know why her daughter would lie about it after her husband was attacked by a man Sands much clothing with a hammer in their own home. According to the daughter, Nancy Pelosi asked priests to perform an exorcism on her residence. <laughs> Bibbidi bobbidi boom. New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd wrote an opinion piece. She recently met with Pelosi and her daughter, who told her that an exorcism was performed in their house. This is this is just people aware there is a spiritual realm. Now, she would never talk about it in any other sense, but her own personal necessity. We don't do exorcisms. Think of the seven sons of Sceva. Bad idea to be messing with demons. Furthermore, not even the archangel Michael was willing to tussle with demons wrestling over the body of Moses. It's an interesting passage. The moral to the story is, uh, careful how much power you think you have over demons because they could rip you up, Jack. Continuing our... Oh, wait a second, Jimmy. 
Yes. I just checked the Nielsen ratings. Okay. We're up a couple ticks, but not where we need to be. This will help. From the Washington Post. <laughs> Again, an organization like that talking about us. It's probably nefarious. Headline, the shared religious roots of twin insurrections in the U.S. and Brazil. Um, what evangelical insurrection are they? T- oh, January 6th. They don't discriminate and they look for anything to besmirch Christianity, especially evangelicals. Quote, Americans have helped spread a right-wing version of evangelical Christianity in Brazil. It played a role in the insurrection there. Uh, What evidence do you have of that? We don't. We just want to besmirch evangelicals. Quote, most evangelicals in Brazil and the United States are committed to conservative theology and right-wing politics, often steeped, here it comes, in an interconnected Christian nationalism. That term has such a broad depth. The semantic range, it's crazy. Really, I think there's, um, I think we would do well, even if you could say, well, okay, I'm patriotic. So if you want to call me a Christian nationalist, go ahead. I, I don't think that's good or wise. No, don't call me a Christian nationalist because in the eyes of the world, if you label yourself as that, um, you are you're you're in you're in their sights, let's say. Just better to avoid the term. A new generation of Brazilian evangelicals is networking with Christian nationalists in the United States. The significant evangelical participation in the crimes against democracy committed in Brazil on January 8th. Here it is suggests the potential dangers of this transnational religious phenomenon. In other words, evangelical, we got to be wise as serpents in this situation. Be careful what lingo you use and um, what, with what people you associate. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, here's a story I know you didn't plan on hearing today because I don't even fully understand part of it. A Minnesota woodshop is hosting a woodworking class in Nordic carving. That's spoon carving, and the original description of the class says, quote, BIPOC, which are black, indigenous, and people of color, BIPOC students are encouraged to sign up to practice the basics of spoon carving. But a few days later, that description was changed, and I quote, This class is intended for folks identifying as people of color. Please do not register if you are a white-bodied person. We all know by now the world we're living in. So I guess my biggest question out of this whole thing, how many people, whether they're white or people of color, are carving spoons anyway? And just in case you forgot how to talk, the AP Stylebook, oh, I shouldn't have said that, AP Stylebook is telling you just how to do that. In a tweet from earlier today, quote, we recommend avoiding general and often dehumanizing the labels such as the poor, the mentally ill, the French, the disabled, the college educated. Instead, use wording such as 
people with mental illnesses. Okay, well, you know, I'm not real sure what's dehumanizing about the word the, but we'll go with it. No, probably not. Well, you know, we've told you over the last several months about all of the United Methodist churches who are fleeing from the United Methodist Church denomination in light of the disagreements about the body's stance on LGBT issues. More than 1,800 United Methodist churches in the U.S. have left the denomination since 2019. You know, the strangest thing to me about this whole ordeal is the UMC is not planning to even meet on these issues until 2024. I just wonder how many churches will have left the denomination before they finally decide to sit down and hash it out. Well, Pakistan's lower house of parliament has passed legislation that will make the country's blasphemy laws stricter, even as their blatant misuse has come to light in a threat to falsely charge a Christian woman. Now, it's not surprising, but the fact that it's stricter, it just doesn't bode well for Christians in Pakistan. The blasphemy accusations that come from this law are mostly false accusations, and they've often provoked mob violence and lynching of suspects, while the penalties are light for those who are making the false accusations. And you know what I'm going to say, as we tell you so frequently here at Wretched, please make sure you're continuing to pray for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Esther is the story of a Jewish woman who becomes Queen of Persia. After a plot to destroy the Jews is uncovered, Esther risks her life to save her people. She appeals to the king who kills the conspirators and allows the Jews to defend themselves. When you face persecution, remember God is able to save his people through all kinds of circumstances. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. We don't have to, but we're going to... This is Wretched Radio, and no doubt you've heard the accusation when you've evangelized. What about the Crusades? Ha, 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 ha. As if the behavior of some of Jesus' supposed followers impugns Jesus himself. Furthermore, despite the fact that those are Roman Catholic Crusades, which I have no need to defend. That, that's one way, by the way, of batting away the accusation that Christianity isn't true because look at all of the atrocities that Christians have committed. Number one, that was the Roman Catholic Church. Number two, even when Christians behave poorly, don't judge Jesus based on the atrocious behavior of some of his followers, even if it's in name only. However, if you'd like to take the time I hold in my never-before nicotine-stained fingers, the real history of the Crusades and the accusations that atheist agnostics make against Christianity because of the Crusades can easily be batted away. This is from Intercollegiate Review, Paul F. Crawford. This is the real history because even in textbooks, they are... It's to slander Christ. They don't discriminate between Catholicism and Protestantism. It doesn't matter. They did something bad, we think, so therefore, la ha ha ha, against Christianity. 
One otherwise reliable Western civilization textbook claims the Crusades fused three characteristic medieval impulses, piety, pugnacity, and greed. All three were essential, they claim. The film Kingdom of Heaven that was in 2005 depicts crusaders as boorish bigots, the best of whom were torn between remorse for their excesses and lust to continue them. Historical supplements for role-playing games. Unsupposedly reliable sources contain statements such as the soldiers of the First Crusade appeared basically without warning, storming into the Holy Land with the avowed task of slaughtering unbelievers. Oh, therefore, I guess I don't have to believe in Jesus. The Crusades were an, a form of early imperialism. Another critique or accusation, confrontation with Islam gave birth to a period of religious fanaticism that spawned the terrible Inquisition and the religious wars that ravaged Europe during the Elizabethan era. Oh yeah, there were a lot of wars going on, defending themselves from the religion of peace. The most famous semi-popular historian of the Crusades, Sir Stephen Runciman, ended his three volumes of prose with the judgment that the Crusades were, quote, nothing more than a long act of intolerance in the name of God, which is the sin against the Holy Ghost. Now, please remember, the popes that were involved in the Crusades, uh, Pope Urban II, I believe, is the fellow who kicked it off in 1093-ish. Uh, th this was the season of pope popes that was... <laughs> If you'd like to learn about some of their atrocities, some of their horrific unchristian behavior, just go to the YouTube machine, type in wretched and Catholic, and you'll see a number of treatments of the history of the papacy, the bloody history of the Roman Catholic Church. Those are the accusations. Myth number one, the Crusades represented an unprovoked attack by Western Christians on the Islamic world. Is that true? The long answer is no. No, it's not. It's not even close. A.D. 632, Egypt, Palestine, Syria, Asia Minor, North Africa, Spain, France, Italy, and the islands of Sicily, Sardinia, and Corsica were all Christian territories. Wow, isn't that fascinating to consider? Places like Turkey, they were Christian for centuries. What changed? Well, a fellow in the 7th century who claimed to have some visions and messages from Allah propagated the religion by the sword. Christianity was the official and overwhelmingly majority religion. Outside those boundaries were other large Christian communities, not necessarily Orthodox or Catholic, but still Christian in some form. Most of the population of Persia was Nestorian, not good, but certainly there were Christian communities in Arabia. Now, they may have been Catholic-ish because the Catholic Church, if you've ever wondered, when did it really start? I think we have a video on that too. But when did it start? Different historians will argue. I always think 5th century, 5th, 6th century, right in that neighborhood when the Bishop of Rome started to amass for himself more and more power. And so I, I tend to think of the like the 5th century or the 500s until the the Roman Catholic Church of Martin Luther Reformation time. That's really when the Roman Catholic Church started to gain momentum, power, and theology became increasingly unpopular. 
biblical. By AD 732, Christians had lost Egypt, Palestine, Syria, North Africa, Spain, most of Asia Minor, and southern France. Italy and the islands were under threat. The islands would come under Islamic rule in the next century. The Christian communities of Arabia destroyed shortly after 633. Jews and Christians were expelled from the peninsula. Those in Persia were under severe pressure. Two-thirds of the formerly Roman Christian world was now ruled by Muslims. So to say that the Roman Catholic Church initiated these wars? Uh, no. Territories where they had a footprint were, were being taken over by Islamic hordes. That's history. Every one of the regions was taken within the space of a hundred years. From Christian control, it was taken by violence, military campaigns deliberately designed to expand Islamic territory at the expense of Islam's neighbors. Now, Charlemagne, or if you're not much of a historian, Charlemagne blocked the advance in Western Europe in about 800, but... Islamic forces, they just shifted their focus and they went island hopping across North Africa toward Italy and the French coast, attacking the Italian mainland, 837. The bellicose people of this era, it wasn't the Roman Catholic Church. And again, I have no need to defend the Roman Catholic Church, but this is just history. There was an aggressor and, and, and it, 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 wasn't the Roman Catholic Church. It was Islam. A confused struggle for control of southern and central Italy continued for the rest of the 9th century and into the 10th. Between 850 and 950, Benedictine monks were driven out of ancient monasteries, papal states were overrun, Muslim pirate bases were established along the coast of northern Italy, southern France, from which attacks on the deep island were launched. Desperate to protect victimized Christians, popes became involved, shouldn't have, but they did, became involved in the 10th and early 11th centuries in directing the defense of the territory around them. They were trying to save people's lives initially. Now it grew, but the moral of the story is when people make the accusation, the Crusades were unprovoked attacked by Western Christians on the Islamic world. Well, that's just, that's just really bad history. I mean, if somebody says that to you, just remember, most people don't study things like this. They just see a YouTube video and off they go. A university professor throws out a line and that's the, the Crusades. You know, they killed all the Muslims and they just did it for money. Another myth. And they go with it. They don't know. But anybody who's an historian would say, yeah, you're right. It wasn't an unprovoked assault. It was a response. The struggle continued unabated into the 11th century. In 1009, a Muslim ruler destroyed the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem and mounted major persecutions of Christians and Jews. Despite the Byzantines sent appeals for help westward, they didn't get an answer. The Pope 
finally responded late in the game. The Byzantines persisted in their appeals, and finally, 1095, okay, 1092, 93, I've heard all of them, by the way, Pope Urban II, ha, realized Gregory the VII's desire in what turned into the First Crusade. So far from being unprovoked, they represent the first great Western Christian counterattack against Islamic attacks which had been going on for about five centuries. History is important. And again, I'm not saying that what they did was right at all. I don't think the church should be an actual military. I get it. Uh, there's There's the military church spiritually, but not getting on horses with swords to take back territory. To put the question in perspective, one need only consider how many times Christian forces have attacked either Mecca or Medina. The answer, of course, is never. That was myth number one. Three to go as we take a trip down memory lane and the Crusades next on Wretched Radio. Cool, very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. Now, Tomorrow Clubs Romania has 106 clubs. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home. Parents get saved and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Albania, all over Eastern Europe and now in Africa, would you please Consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you for listening to Wretched Radio today. Well, mark the date February 1st in your calendars because that's when Season 2 of Transformed is set to launch. Season 1, of course, was a hit, and you don't have to be very smart to realize why. It's because biblical counseling works. The Bible has the answers to all of our issues. Depression, anxiety, OCD, addiction, whatever malady you happen to be facing at the moment, biblical counseling can and will solve your issue, not just slap a secular band-aid on it. Season 2 of Transform is coming February 1st, and of course it's only possible because of your support. Actually, the support of our gospel partners is what makes everything around here possible. We couldn't do any of this without you. So, would you log on to wretched.org slash donate now to find out how you could become an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel Partner. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not mean the battle for life is over. Would you please consider supporting Preborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds that genuinely save lives? That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing when she got here. It was just, oh my gosh. 
Another woman who chooses life because she saw an ultrasound. Her life, and obviously her baby's life, changed. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The war for life continues to rage. Would you please engage in the battle and support preborn centers at preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called the friend of sinners. While we were dead in our sins and condemned as enemies, Jesus bore our sins in himself so we could be reconciled to the Father. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Wow. This is Wretched Radio Onward! Christian soldiers. Oh, this isn't good at all, actually. <laughs> the video of Onward Christian soldiers. They're soldiers. <laughs> They're showing dudes from the Crusades. Um, no. The church is not a military division. We battle spiritually, not with swords. We are not the ones to wield that device. That belongs to the government. We're in a spiritual battle. And yet there was a time when Christians, specifically the Roman Catholic Church, decided, gear up, men. We're going to an actual physical military style war. It's the Crusades, and it is regularly used against Christ. It makes no sense. It it, it it's it it would be like uh uh um okay uh Jimmy yes thank thanks for joining us Jimmy <laughs> yes. have you ever um stubbed your toe oh, yeah. and been, well, perhaps a little bit more angry than you should be. <laughs> yes. See, that's why I don't believe in your wife. You don't believe in my wife? That's, I mean, with your behavior, I don't believe your wife exists. <laughs> that's how ridiculous it is. <laughs> hey, look at the Crusades. Therefore, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Let's tackle the myths. Number one, that the Crusades were unprovoked. no. No, they weren't. Myth number two, Western Christians went on crusades because they were greedy plunderers and they just wanted to get rich. Few crusades had sufficient cash. This, by the way, is taken from an article that appeared in the Intercollegiate Review, a 2011 edition. So pithy. Well done, sir. Few crusades had sufficient cash both to pay their obligations at home and to support themselves decently on a crusade. Did plundering happen? Yes. Is that why they went? No, they had to pay their own fare. These were not wealthy people. They really believed they were going to rescue Jerusalem. They were going to rescue Christians who were taking a shellacking from the religion of peace. From the very beginning, financial considerations played a major role in crusade planning. The early crusaders sold off so many of their possessions to finance their expeditions that they caused widespread inflation. 
The financial demands of crusading caused profound economic and monetary changes in Western Europe. So this was a mover of the market and of what wealth accumulation looked like. We just need to know. These people didn't sell everything to go make a fortune. They financed their own journey because they believed in it. It was wrong, but they believed in it. One of the chief reasons for the foundering of the Fourth Crusade, it ran out of money before it had gotten properly started. Louis IX's Seventh Crusade in the mid-13th century cost more than six times the annual revenue of the crown. The popes, what did they do? Well, you got to raise some more money. Instituting the first income tax in the early 13th century. Wait, we can... There was always taxes. These must have just been crusade taxes that they're talking about. Making a series of adjustments in the way that indulgences... Oh, which are alive and well, by the way. How they were handled. That led to the abuses condemned by... Martin Luther, in short, very few people became rich by crusading. Their numbers were puny compared to those who were bankrupted. Most medieval people were well aware of this and did not consider crusading a way to improve their financial situations. Myth number three. Crusades were a cynical lot who didn't really believe their own religious propaganda. Rather, they had ulterior, or ulterior materialistic motives. Is that true? From our article, one thing, the, uh, cause, 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 the people who died rates on the Crusades were usually really high, and many, if not most, Crusaders left expecting not to return. They believed in the cause. At least one military historian has estimated the casualty rate for the First Crusades at an appalling 75%. Now, the Crusades went on for centuries. Everybody knew the stats because their fathers and brothers didn't return. They knew this was risky business without an upside. Why did they go? They, they really believed it. And they were lied to and told that they could earn eternity by going to save the lives of other Christians and potentially offer their own, which is a lie. But they believed it. Crusaders were not drafted. It was voluntary. Participants had to be persuaded to go. And the primary means of persuasion was the crusade sermon. Warnings. That Crusading brought deprivation, suffering, and often death. That this was the reality of crusading was well known everywhere. But they still went. Why? Because they believed it. Crusade preachers had to persuade their listeners to commit themselves to enterprises that would disrupt their lives, impoverish, and even kill or maim them, and inconvenience their families. Putting a huge burden on their families. But they went anyway. Why? They thought it was a penance for sin. Once again, the Roman Catholic system, it's not Jesus alone. It just isn't. There, there's, there's 
I know that recently, probably since Vatican II, but even since the Evangelicals and Catholics Together movement gained some sort of momentum, although it's kind of sputtered out, that they use language that makes it sound like it's Jesus alone, but there's always a come a but. You've also got to, but it's Jesus alone, and you've got to, well, then it's not Jesus alone. Conclusion for myth number three, as difficult as it may be for modern people to believe, the evidence strongly suggests most crusaders were motivated by a desire to please God, expiate their sins, and put their lives at the service of their neighbors. Myth number four, the crusades taught Muslims to hate and attack Christians. Well, They'd already been attacking Christians for 450 years, (laughs) so it's kind of hard to imagine it was the Crusades that set them off. Do not be deceived. The Crusades, while not something that we endorse and affirm because the church militant does not put on Crusader regalia or bear arms against another nation unless you go into the military because that is God's ordained institution for military, bearing the sword, protecting people, doing good, but not the church. The church is about the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you look at the Crusades, how successful were they? Well, maybe half successful. I'm just generalizing. But Italy, of course, remained Roman Catholic. France, at least used to sort of be kind of a little bit Roman Catholic. Spain, was it Charles Martel? It was Charles, yeah, Charles Martel, I believe, who drove the Islamic hordes back. Spain was Roman Catholic, but the Middle East and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Turkey, all formerly Christian, but those are some of the places that you read about Paul's missionary journeys in the first century. And I grant you, Charlemagne, he had something to do with this, that he made Christianity the religion of the empire. And I suspect that there were threatenings then, and that was not correct either. But I don't think it's fair to say that Christianity spread in whatever form it was by means of the sword. But Islam, on the contrary, that is precisely how they expanded. Furthermore, Islam expands. They're doing doing something that apparently we in the West don't think is a good idea, having lots of babies. They, They birth a lot of Muslims. They are way ahead of us in the birth rate. Don't be deceived. Christianity should be the religion of peace. The Crusades were not. Islam was not. And the next time somebody brings this up to you, just take them down a little trip through memory lane, remind them of these things, and might I suggest just get off of it about as fast as you can. And enough with the history. We need that. This is a part of our apologetics arrows that we can bring out of our quiver and aim as we need to. But defending the Crusades, it won't get anybody saved. Not once did somebody go, wait a second, I thought the Crusades were the Catholics and they were making money and stuff. Never mind, where do I sign up to follow Jesus? Doesn't happen. So use it, get off of it, 
get back to the realm of the conscience to convict them of sin and lead them to understand their need for the Savior who died that we might have peace. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.